to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff Limkuhler, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist at the University of Kentucky. Through the Beef Bits Podcast, we will share current news, management tips, new research, and other issues related to beef cattle production. I'll be joined by various guests to bring different views and insights on beef cattle topics. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast and find the information useful. Welcome to episode four of the Beef Bits podcast. We're um, joined today by uh, Dr. Katie Van Valen again. She's an assistant extension professor and beef cattle specialist with the University of Kentucky. Katie, how are you today? I'm doing good, Jeff. How are you? Doing good. It's uh, kind of hard to complain with the weather we've had the last couple of days, getting a little bit cooler, feeling like fall. Yep, it'll be here before we know it. Yes, and uh, I was just talking to uh, a person I know that spends a lot of time on the lake and uh, he kind of is thinking that after this weekend there won't be as much boat activity because it's going to be too cold for them. Yep I think so. I think things are slowing down at the lakes on this end of the state as well. Yeah so he was looking forward to it. He's a he goes out even through the winter time and does some fishing and stuff so he's ready for it to slow down. (laughs) Yep. Well um uh, tell us just a little bit, uh, for those that didn't get to hear the first session, uh, a little bit about your background and um, where you come from originally and uh, how you made your way back here. Yeah, so I am actually originally from Bowling Green, Kentucky, and so Kentucky is sort of my home state. But uh, when I was pretty young, my folks had an opportunity to move to Detroit. And so I spent most of my childhood actually up in Detroit and in that area, which is not really known for beef cattle production, Um, but grew up every summer. I spent uh, with my grandparents on their farm and my grandfather ran a commercial cow calf business for for a long time. And then once he uh, got older and had to get out of that, he he maintained the farm and, and has at least out in row crops now. And so um, that was really where my ties to agriculture were developed and, and where I got an interest in, in the beef cattle industry was from those summers spent on their operation. And so uh, when I got ready to go to school, I knew I wanted to come back to Kentucky and uh, ended up going to Western Kentucky University for my undergrad. And I was there, ended up double majoring in agriculture and chemistry and got interested in research and found my way out to Virginia Tech, where I did a master's uh, in cow-calf production, looking at fescue toxicity in uh, cow-calf pairs. And so that was a really great opportunity. Loved my time in Blacksburg, but knew I wanted to to find my way to the Midwest for my PhD and started looking at some programs out there and always had an interest in uh, micronutrients, so vitamins and minerals. And so uh, Dr. Hansen's program at Iowa State University focuses heavily on mineral nutrition and feedlot cattle. And so that ended up being a really great fit and spent about three and a half of years out there uh, doing my PhD and then staying on for a, a short stint as a postdoc in the lab. And then uh, all the everything kind of fell into place and a position opened up here at the University of Kentucky and I applied for it and got it and ended up finding my way back home. So now we're we're back in Kentucky. This is my third time, I guess, back in Kentucky, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, this will be the last time we have to to worry about moving around. So, yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's fantastic to, to kind of come home. I uh, 
in a roundabout way. I'm not quite back home, but I'm closer than I was and uh, closer. I would say we've, this is the closest we've been. And, uh, well, we moved away in 96 and came back in 2008. So, um, it's always good to come back and it's always good to go away though, and see what there is outside of uh, your County lines. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, tell us a little bit about, um, your position at, at, uh, Princeton. So, um, you're, you are also kind of the herd manager down there as well, correct? Yep. So um, my position is uh, split between extension and research. And as part of that research component, we I oversee uh, the herd that we have down there. So we've got a herd of about 150 cows. And those cows are uh, predominantly Angus with a little bit of Brangus genetics in there as well. Um, we also maintain some purebred Angus and Brangus cows to produce herd bulls for our, our program. Um, and so I kind of, I oversee that, uh, that program. And we've also got three full-time staff members that work down there as well um, that really help us out day in and day out, getting things done with those, the cows and uh, helping with our research programs and that kind of thing. So uh, the herd down there is has predominantly been used for for research programs, um, but they can also be used for um, some of our extension efforts as well. And so they're they're a really great resource for us down there at Princeton. So um, you mentioned you have a split appointment, extension and research. What's what's your research interest or focus? Yeah, so I like to focus in uh, mineral nutrition, but I also have a another area that um, it's kind of where I've I've found my niche right now, and that's in uh, utilizing technology to more efficiently manage uh, cattle. And so um, sort of throughout my training, I never focused in technology formally, but it was something that sort of just kept popping into my research. And um, I think, you know, as we continue to move forward, that's going to be an important piece of, of our production practices. And so uh, one of the big things that we, we use at Princeton is uh, cow manager ear tags, and those can record uh, animal behavior and give you feedback in terms of when animal cows are coming in the heat, um, tells you when they're eating, when they might be sick and that kind of thing. And so um, some of my research has been is focusing on how we can better utilize that technology and what that type, what those types of technologies uh, can do for us. So um, we've ha we've had those tags in all of our cows now in the summer. We we had them in some bred heifers and some of those heifers were on high end of fight fescue and some were on a low end of fight fescue. And so I'm looking to see can tags predict um, some of those those phenotypic uh, signs that we see when cattle are grazing high end of fight fescue. Excellent. So it sounds like you're off and uh, running already, getting some some things started on the research side and generating some information. Yep. yep. Good, good deal. But we always kind of jump into a little bit of market news and um, just give everybody an update on where things are since we do this every two weeks. And so I looked up uh, this week's uh, market report and uh, looks like corn is still hanging in there around the 340, 350 a bushel uh, ballpark. What does the corn crop look over your way on the western side of the state? Pretty good? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. We're starting to see combines out. So harvest is in, in full swing for a lot of guys I think down here and so uh, they'll be they'll be continuing that as we move forward 
Well, y'all are usually a little ahead of us. We, we're probably not quite there yet. A lot of the corn silage has been uh, wrapped up and that harvest is getting close to finishing. There's some, uh, maybe some later corn that was planted for silage that have come out yet. But um, everybody keeps talking about uh, it's gonna be a bumper crop and potential for record yields, even with the impact of the storm that came through the Midwest. So we'll see what that does on the corn market side. It's always one of those things when corn prices uh, tend to go up it softens our feeder cattle market a little bit so we'll see what happens as the harvest rolls in and yield start coming in yep beans are hanging in the the mid to uh, upper nines and um, it looks like soybean meal was coming in at around 340 uh, a ton over there at Owensboro and soy hulls were about 140 a ton at Owensboro so uh, again those are just prices there at the plant and you know, for us to get those to here, there's quite a bit of trucking that we have to uh, put on them to get them here and get storage and all that. So I always caution folks, don't just look at the market report and think you're going to buy those feedstuffs for, for those at your local elevator. Yep. Um, feeder calves, uh, you know, the, the five to uh, 550 range uh, calves and 550 to 600s uh, on average, we're running in the low 140s this week. And uh, similar weight heifers were uh, bouncing in that 127 to maybe 130 range. So uh, I think, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a little bit more support there. Dr. Burdine said that that seems like it's holding pretty decent through this fall. And hopefully everybody will continue to see those prices hang in there as they get into October, November. And maybe, fingers crossed, we won't see that seasonal decline in the market report uh, numbers and folks will get a little bit of recovery on the, maybe some of the impacts that COVID's had if the markets can stand up uh, to the corn market here as we move through the fall. I think uh, last I heard we're moving through the, the fed cattle side pretty well. Um, have you heard any um, issues coming out of the, your contacts from the Midwest on uh, plant closures or anything like that? Nope. They've been able to, to move cattle and, and really, you know, the university, I know up there was able to move cattle all throughout, but you know, you certainly had to get a little bit uh, strategic in how you did that, but it sounds like things are continuing to, to stay online up there and, and those plant employees are being able to stay healthy and, and keep those operations moving. So. Yeah, I, I think one of our challenges is it seems like um, we're continuing to see the the impacts of the longer days on feed on our slaughter cattle. And um, I think uh, last week's average was, um, uh, I think carcass weights were pushing over 900 now. Um, so they're ranging a little higher for these cattle that are coming out in August, which at the end of August which is a little bit concerning because that means, you know, we're going to get a little bit more yield and um, that means we got to work through a little bit more meat supply. Yep. But on the backside, that also means um, as long as they're moving through them, then there's going to be uh, open spots for this year's calf crop to go back into the yards and, and hopefully we'll get decent prices on those too. Yep, exactly. So, um, Let's uh, talk a little bit for those that don't know um, much about 
Princeton. Maybe they've not been down to Princeton. Um, so uh, what is the official title of the research station there at uh, Princeton? That is a great question. And it's one I actually had to ask our, our chair when I first started was, where do we actually work? Uh, there's a lot of acronyms that go around the, the research station down there. Um, but that the station is officially known as the University of Kentucky Research and Education Center. And that is home to a, a portion of the Grain and Forage Center of Excellence. And so uh, that Grain and Forage Center of Excellence is, is not so much a place as an idea um, to, to foster uh, collaborative research uh, to support uh, grain and forage production. And so um, there's people that work with the Grain and Forage Center of Excellence that are housed in Lexington as well as Princeton. Uh, but we do have a sign on our building, and so that sometimes causes confusion, I think, with with what that what that actually is, but um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a really great place to work. We did re- recently go through major renovations to our our facilities there, and so I got lucky and came right into a brand new office. And we have excellent you know meeting facilities and that sort of thing, which of course with COVID we have not been able to fully utilize. But uh, one of these days we'll be back in there hosting hosting meetings for our producers and our commodity groups across the state. So it's a it's a great resource to have on that end of the state. So within within the facility itself, um, tell us a little bit about, um, so there's certainly office space for staff, but so you have research faculty there at the station as well as supporting staff members, correct? Yep, we do. So um, I know I was a little surprised to learn that there was so many people down there. There's, you know, 50 to 60 full-time faculty and staff members at any given time. And they rep- we represent all different departments within the College of Agriculture, Food, and Environment. And so um, in addition, obviously, to our office space, and our meeting spaces that can really be used for, for extension efforts, we do have research laboratories there. Um, for to support different faculty members' programs. And then we also have two um, commercial facilities. So we have a plant disease diagnostic laboratory as well as a soil testing lab uh, where producers can work with their extension agents and get uh, samples submitted uh, to those two facilities as well. So lots of resources out there uh, for our, our producers on that end of the state. Excellent. And, and you do have uh, kind of a new... Um... Uh, state-of-the-art conference facility. Do you happen to know the capacity of what the conference room is roughly? Um, I think under normal circumstances, we can fit around 200, 250 folks uh, in there. That would be cramped. Um, With social distancing guidelines, that's down to about 40. So uh, definitely can't utilize it to its full potential right now. But um, you know, there's, it's a, a large facility and, uh, you know, was getting quite a bit of use at the first part of this year. So uh, we hope to, to get that back in, up and running soon. Yeah, that's been a bit of a challenge, even in some of our larger facilities. Um, like you mm-hmm. said, uh, normally seating 250 to 300 and, you know, 40 or 50 is about all you can get into those. And so then it becomes an issue of, well, who do you, say can come and who can't. And that's been one of our challenges with some of our cattlemen's associations, just trying to be able to meet. Yep, exactly. And, you know, how do you have a, we, we've always had open door policies and that sort of thing. So it's been rough to, you know, have the doors locked and, and people not be able to come in and, and visit with us and, 
and that sort of thing. A lot of us working from home. So it's been, it's really been interesting. It's unfortunate that it all happened right as, you know, we had brand new facilities and that sort of thing. But eventually we will, we will get through this and, and be able to use those facilities like we intended them to be used. And they'll just be a little bit cleaner, a little bit longer. That's right. That's right. They they still look brand new. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you, what would you say is the mission statement of um, the center or the station as it relates to the beef cattle production side of things? Yeah. You know, our, I would say our goal is to, to be a resource for our producers on, on the Western end of the state. Um, you know, Kentucky is a, is a real long state east to west, and we've got a lot of geographic diversity within our state. And certainly, you know, the landscapes in, in central Kentucky, where Lexington is located, where our main campus is, is not the same as what we've got on the western end of the state. And um, we've got a lot of producers on the western end of the state that mainly focus on grain crop production and cattle might be a, you know, a secondary source of income on their operations. And so, um you know, having one facility that can help with all those different uh, enterprises, I think is, is really a, a strength of, of our center down there. And so um, from, you know, specifically related to beef cattle, it's, it's good to have resources down there for, for producers on our end of the state um, to be able to come to programmings and things like that. Um, at the station. You know, I, you brought a good point up. I think we forget sometimes how much things change from west side to east side. And, you know, as you get out of the karst area and even, um, you know, where you grew uh, grew up in western Kentucky, or at Bowling Green, sorry, the, the soil types change dramatically from Bowling Green to western Kentucky even. Yep. Yep, exactly. And so, um, you know, it, it's it's great to have that, that resource down there for, for our producers and our growers, because um, we certainly um, do have, you know, differences like we've been talking about. So um, a while ago, you mentioned that um, that's about 150 uh, uh, cows down there are breeding females of Angus and Brangus. So tell us a little bit more about the, kind of the herd when they calve, um, and then kind of the, uh, are, are calves uh, used in the research there? Or do they, most of them sold as uh, feeder calves? Or just give us a little bit more specifics on the, the cow herd down there itself. Yeah, so we are a, a fall calving herd. So all of our cows uh, calve in the fall. So we are right in the middle of that. I think we're somewhere around 70 calves on the ground right now. Um, so our, our crew has been working hard and they'll continue uh, working hard for a few more weeks down there. But um, so we're all fall calving and then um, the cows and the calves are used in part of, as part of our research program. So we actually have uh, two herds within our larger herd um, that have been maintained now for multiple generations on two different sources of selenium in their mineral premix. And so the calves born to those cows, uh, those females will work back into the breeding program. And so then um, now we're actually able to look at, at potential, um, you know, changes in genetics of those cattle due to that mineral premix. And so 
Um, that's a that's been a big part of the research program down there is uh, Dr. Jamie Matthews and Dr. Phil Bridges, along with my the predecessor um, to my position, Dr. Roy Burris, did a lot of work uh, looking at the selenium sources and the mineral premix and how it's how it can uh, be impacted with fescue toxicity and and that kind of thing. So. Um, Again, that's that's a big part of, of what our calves are used for. Typically, uh, we'll sell those calves uh, after weaning. And uh, we also do a lot of uh, collaborative work with our forage specialists down at the center as well. And so um, some we provide calves for some of their summer grazing trials and that sort of thing. So actually, our, our calves from last year, our 2019 calves, just came off of a trial and so we're actually just now moving those calves out, which is a little different than what some of our folks might do. Um, but uh, we, our main goal with that herd is to be able to, to support as much research as we possibly can. And so I, I think we certainly get that, get that out of our calves and it supports multiple different programs as well. And yet trying to do research and outreach as cost effectively as possible. And I think sometimes there's this, um, maybe a misunderstanding that there's deep pockets and, and that the university and you all are flush and can spend money however you want. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely not the case. And, you know, we're, we're in this as well to, to try to, you know, at least break even. And, you know, sometimes with research, uh, you know, we, we have to do things on a timeline that um, maybe it's not the, the most efficient. It's not necessarily how I would I would recommend a producer to do something, but um, that's just part of research, and so um, we have to find that that balance between productivity and efficiency, and and still being able to collect the data that that we need to get. So uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a a balancing act between uh, being able to do research and also being able to to make sure that the herd stays you know profitable to support our operations down there. Yeah, and and it's uh, sometimes you can't, and but yet we we do the best that we can in in all situations uh, to try and keep the work applicable, and so that producers understand that uh, it may not fit their operations tomorrow, but um, there's certainly applications uh, down the road. Yep, definitely. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Beef Bash and um, thinking about this kind of uh, opportunity that folks have to learn a little bit more about what's going on at the, the research station and uh, just some general other things. So tell us a little bit more about this big party that y'all are getting ready to throw virtual this year instead of in person. Yeah, yeah. So Beef Bash has, has always, of course, been in person in the past and, you know, it's always... Um, thought of to be more of a, a chance to uh, visit with fellow cattle producers as well as industry industry professionals and, um, you know, extension specialists from across the college um, and and have a, that social interaction as well as, you know, learn something along the way with, with different demonstrations and that sort of thing. And, you know, I think earlier this year, if you'd asked us, we all thought, well, we'll be be fascist until October and we'll be back in person by then and it'll be fine. But um, that's not how this thing is played out. And so uh, we made the decision in, in back in late summer to move be fast virtually. And so virtual be fast is going to be held on October 1st. 
it starts at 9 a.m. Central Time. And what that looks like is it'll be um, just like a Zoom meeting, like all of our, our webinars that we've done um, have been. And we will have different talks played throughout the day. Um, and then those speakers will be on live to, to take questions and um, get answers and, and have some dialogue with our producers. So uh, when we made the decision to go virtual, we had one rule for all of our speakers, and that was no PowerPoint presentations. So we're doing our best to make it um, as field day-like as possible, um, being that it's it's on the internet and it's in a Zoom meeting. But um, we'll we'll continue on with it. And I, I keep saying, I hope it's, you know, our first and our last virtual Beef Bash. Oh, yeah, it's uh, I think it's a neat format. And uh, the fact that there will be the opportunity to have um, questions answered is probably as valuable as anything for a lot of our folks. And, you know, instead of sitting on hay bales and out in the field and asking your questions, you'll be able to sit in a nice plush comfortable chair and the air conditioning maybe and get those answers. Yep. Likewise. And, you know, some of our folks that might be me out in the field who maybe couldn't have taken the day off to be at, at BFASH can also, you know, potentially tune in if you've got a, an internet connection out there. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it turns out. And, you know, I think some of our, our county agents are trying to look at some creative ways to be able to host, you know, socially distanced watch parties at their offices and that sort of thing. So uh, it certainly uh, made us uh, get our creative side out and, and figure out how we can continue to get this information out to our producers. So it's a, um, a field day that typically involved a lot of other um, um, disciplines. It's just not about beef cattle, right? So what other uh, potential topics could folks uh, maybe get some information on. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have, um, you know, folks from our Ag Econ department are going to be giving us some updates uh, as well as uh, our forage group. Uh, I know Dr. Toich uh, was out recording his talk the other day and is going to go over some uh, hay sampling techniques uh, for folks to, to be able to get that forage sample uh, collected and submitted and uh, you know, some some tips on, on how to do that effectively to get the most representative sample. And so uh, we do try to expand across our, our disciplines and and reach out, you know, so it's not just the just the beef group, but also some others that that definitely play a supportive role in our cattle production. And um, I assume there'll be some research updates as well from some of the research projects going on at the station. Absolutely. Yep. Um, Dr. Matthews has got a, a talk to, to cover, you know, where, where his program has been and, and where they see that going. And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive when you see it all in um, one poster uh, in, in person to see what all they've done and, and what all they've discovered with that program. And so he's got a great talk to, to cover, you know, what that has looked like and, and where they're going next. Well, it sounds like uh, a, a great program with a lot of information. And so it starts again at 9 a.m. Central Time. Central Time, yep. And will end uh, when? Um, I think it ends around 3 o'clock that day. Uh, I don't have the, the schedule right in front of me, but 
we'll try to keep it rolling in a timely fashion and and folks will be able to jump in and out as throughout the day. So they'll be able to come and go um, if there's a particular talk that you're looking for um, that you, you don't have to sit on there all day necessarily. So we'll try to stick to that timeline the best we can so that folks that are jumping in and out uh, can catch the talk that they're looking for. So again, it's on October the 1st. Yep. And uh, how would they go about finding information um, do they need to enroll or do they just need to contact their county extension office? How would they find out more information about Beef Bash? Yep. So we're asking for everybody to pre-register. Um, it's free to do so, but what that allows us to do is get you a, an invitation with the link to the meeting. And so you can go to the KY Beef IRM Facebook page, or if you type that in a, a Google search box, that will get you to our website. And there's a link on the homepage of our website. Uh, it's a real simple process to, to get you registered. And uh, if you have troubles with any of that, um, feel free to reach out to your county agent as well. They they have all been sent all this all the resources, and you can check in with them and see if they're planning on on hosting anything. Um, you know, if you aren't able to to connect uh, at your home or something like that due to internet issues. Uh, reach out to them and see what options they might have available as well. That sounds great. And then will there be any opportunities for um, uh, viewing information at a later date if I've got to work and I can't uh, take off the day, but I still want to see what was covered? Yep. So we uh, are going to get all that posted uh, afterwards. And so we'll get it all broken up so you can see the, the presentations as well as the question and answer uh, portion related to that presentation. And we will get that posted on our Facebook page, on our YouTube page. Um, so that will all be, be out there for folks that maybe can't uh, take the time out of their day to join us live. Excellent. So you've, you've been really busy on the kind of bringing us into the kind of modern age on social media and all that. And uh, tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you've tried to uh, pull together to help us get out there on the internet and, and engage a little more on social media. Yeah. So uh, we have our Facebook page is probably our main, uh, main page where things get, where everything gets posted. Uh, we also have a, a Twitter and an Instagram, but the, those have been a little bit slower to catch on and a little bit, those require a little bit different content, but um, Facebook has definitely uh, been an active uh, resource for us. And so uh, we put all of our, what were weekly, now they're bi-weekly uh, webinars are all broadcast on their lives. So if you aren't comfortable with logging in through Zoom, you can hop on on Facebook and um, the other nice thing is you can set a notification and it will alert you when we go live. So, uh, you, you know, if you forget about it, your phone will tell you that that there's a webinar going on. And so, um, you know, that's been a really great uh, tool for us to be able to still stay in contact with producers, even though we haven't been able to be out in the counties as much. And so uh, in addition to that, we've also uh, started a series called Beef Minutes, which is a weekly video that we post and that's done by different specialists and covers a wide variety of topics. We try to cover something timely. Um, we might discuss uh, events that we've, we've had meetings that we've had. So updates and that sort of thing. And 
we've gotten a lot of really great feedback from them. We try to keep them short so people can can watch them all uh, without while they're scrolling through their phone without you know feeling like they've taken a big chunk out of their time. So um, that's all been been a great effort to sort of you know change how we get the information out there uh, to our producers. And we still have our our tried and true methods with off the hoof and that sort of thing as well. But you know this is a adding some new some new ways of communicating. So um, if, if a person um, had any suggestions or input or feedback as well, uh, or maybe even kind of had a, a question on one of the previous programs and how they would access that, what's the best route of trying to, to find more information on that? Yeah, if you're trying to, to find some of our previous programs and that sort of thing, um, you know, Facebook is going to be an easy is an easy way to do that, um, as well as uh, looking out on YouTube. Well, anything that's that's been recorded gets posted on on YouTube for the most part, and so uh, those two routes are probably your best bet. Uh, the nice thing about Facebook is we we do monitor that, and so you know, over at times, some folks have posted questions on there and that sort of thing, and we've been able to answer those um, as we go. So. Um, you know, that's certainly a, a resource for folks to to utilize. And, you know, we've seen a lot of growth on there. And I think people are starting to to recognize that as a place to to get our information. And don't, you know, the, if, if they can't find it here, you know, the, certainly uh, go to your county extension office and, and they can help you all and, and get that information as well. And um, you know, if you haven't had an opportunity, we, we've got the, the Off the Hoof, the Beef Extension newsletter that's on the department's uh, website that you can download and read. And quite a bit of information. I think Dr. Anderson said this this past one was like 14 pages. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we're doing that twice a month right now. And so, yeah, there's, there's lots of information uh, going about. So, um, if there's something you're looking for, though, and we you haven't seen it, you know, always reach out to your county office because we're we're constantly talking with our agents and trying to figure out, you know, the questions that they're getting, what they're seeing, and and how we can better better serve them. So, well, is there anything else that we need to cover in relationship to beef bash um, to make sure that folks that want to participate know how to do that and and uh, can get online? Yep. Just uh, be sure that you get pre-registered. Um, that's going to be the way to, to see everything live that day. Uh, again, reach out to your county office if you're going to have uh, potentially have some internet issues or something like that. See what they can do to help you out with that. Um, and otherwise, no worries if you can't join us live. We will get it all up there at a, at a later date uh, as soon as possible afterwards to, to get that information out there. Great. Well, Dr. Van Valen, we appreciate all the, the information you shared with us today. And hopefully folks that have not been at Princeton, even though they won't be able to, um, to go there this year for Beef Bash, maybe this will spark a little interest for them to want to go there with the next time we can do it face to face. And if they've got to travel a little bit, um, know that they can uh, go there and expect to see some pretty neat things that are going on down there, both on the crop side as well as the livestock side. Yep. And I guess I didn't mention we will have a virtual tour of the facilities there. And so you'll get to see everything virtually. But um, certainly we hope the next time that we host it in person, 
that we get folks down there, especially if you've never taken a trip down there. It, it is a really neat facility. I know it was a lot more intensive than than I think I had pictured it in my mind before I ever saw it. So uh, it's a really, really interesting place to work. Great. All right. We always like to wrap up with a little bit of sports. And, um, you know, um, last week, uh, your uh, Western Kentucky uh, group traveled and, and played uh, Louisville and didn't necessarily maybe go the way you wanted it, but um, they certainly um, held their own at times as well. They did. They did. Yeah, they fell a little short. And, um, you know, they're they're a team that over the years has, you know, held on in some Power 5 conference matchups. Um, you know, I think we used to play UK a couple times. I think we played them about four times, and uh, we won about half those, and UK won the other half, and then we didn't renew that series. So um, we've moved on now to, to playing Louisville as our, our other in-state uh, matchup there. And so uh certainly didn't go the way we wanted it to go, but um, you know, there's a lot of season left ahead for, for the team. And so, yeah, it's always fun. I try to support all my schools on, on Saturdays and two out of the two of them played this week. They both lost. So they'll have that from time to time, but they all play in different uh, conferences. So they never have, I never have to worry about them playing each other unless it's a bowl game. So. Yeah, the, there you go. It's uh that's a little bit more of a challenge for me because, uh, uh, one, the Big Ten, they're not playing yet. And so uh, Darren, everybody's giving me a hard time about my Boilermakers. But, uh, you know, and then the Missouri now is in the, the SEC conference here with UK. And, and before that, they weren't. So I've got that. And then, you know, being on faculty at Wisconsin for a while, I got to be a little bit of a Badger fan. So I've got two in the SEC and two in the Big Ten now. So I, I guess my odds are a little bit better of one of them winning, but. Yep. Yep. I've got, you know, I've got Conference USA, ACC, Big 12. So SEC now with, with UK. So I get to spread it out a little bit. Exactly. So since you were uh, spending a little time up north, did you become a hockey fan at all? You know, when I was a kid, I, I would watch hockey. I think it was more of a um, just because that's what you did in Michigan. Everybody, everybody watched hockey. Everybody played hockey. Uh, the kids in my neighborhood I grew up with, um, most of them played ice hockey. Uh, and certainly we played a little street hockey in the neighborhood uh, growing up. So, um, you know, I, I grew up there in, in the late 90s when the Red Wings were uh, a powerhouse of a team. And so it was a really interesting time. Um, got to be involved in one of the, the championship parades in downtown Detroit as a kid and that kind of thing. So um, definitely was a hockey fan. I I try to get into the Predators a little bit. That's the closest to a hometown team that we've got now. Um, but, you know, I, th I think I'm still a, a Red Wings fan um, at heart when it comes to hockey. But, uh, you know, they're, uh, they've are they struggled the last couple of years, but it's Detroit's hockey town, so I'm sure they'll, they'll be back eventually. Yeah. Well, my first – First hockey game was in grad school, and um, a bunch of us grad students went to St. Louis to watch the Blues play. And um, for somebody that never really seen it live before, wow, what a what a deal! It is so fast paced, and um, you know that that puck is constantly moving up and down the ice. That uh, you really got to pay attention to know what's going on. 
Yeah, yeah. I never played growing up, but like I said, a lot of the kids that I I grew up with did, and um, you know, it's it's not an easy sport. It's got to be agile and uh, and be able to keep your balance on the ice as well. So it's uh, it's definitely an interesting sport. I did at least learn how to ice skate when I was up there, so I can I can mark that one off. Yep. Yep. It's it's sort of a, a rite of passage to get involved with some sort of winter sport when you're that far north. But when winter lasts half the year, you kind of have to or else you'll you'll go a little stir crazy. Oh, that's right. I, I always remember um, it seemed like uh, our kids during Halloween always had their winter coats on and the method of trigger treating was jumping from milk parlor to milk parlor where we were at because we were kind of <laughs> outside in the country. And so we just walk in the milk parlor and take their coats off so everybody could see their uh, little <laughs> outfits and uh, they'd get their treats and bundle them back up and down to the next dairy. Yeah, we always joked growing up, you know, in a subdivision in the suburbs of Detroit that Halloween was the last time you saw your neighbors until spring. Um, <laughs> it all sort of disappeared after that. It was like the last great social event. So it was always a big deal. But uh, then we uh, didn't see each other until spring unless we were out uh, with a snowblower. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And I think every year that we were there, um, I'm going to say it either snowed the week of uh, Easter or it snowed on Easter. Yep. Yeah. There is not a, a rare thing to have snow in April, sometimes May. You know, it, uh, it lingered. I know the year before I went to Iowa State, they had to cancel their spring finals because they got a blizzard. And I had never heard of that anywhere in my life. Yet I, I still made the choice to go up there. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, Dr. Van Balen, we certainly appreciate you taking the time out and joining us today and, and sharing some information with us. And uh, it's always good to catch up and uh, just have a little bit of off the off the work chat, too, when we get to uh, sports and other things like that. So. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, again, this has been uh, uh, Dr. Katie Van Valen, the Extension Beef Cattle Specialist at uh, University of Kentucky, and uh, Jeff Lemcooler. I'm your host, and we will look forward to uh, reaching out to you on our next episode after Beef Bash. And so we'll bring you a few updates on uh, some of the things that went on uh, at Beef Bash then. Mm-hmm.